You just made the list. Well, my freaking God. I am 100% certain that I am 0% sure of what I'm going to do. Well, we should make a list. Lists are good. Lists are good. Lists are good. I love you in your face. Hey, best friends. Welcome to Lost in Lists. It's a podcast that loves lists and lists its loves. My name is Dan Connell Pasek, and I am the host of this podcast. Each week, I invite a guest, and we rank our top five of some category. Now, we mostly won't claim that our rankings are the greatest choices, but we love them, and we will defend them tooth and nail. Enjoy! Hey there, best friends! Welcome to Lost in Lists! John and I decided that we wanted to talk about board games. Ooh, yeah. I remember that from last intro. (laughs) From one week ago. One week ago. Not back on 30 seconds ago in the same studio. <laughs> January 1st, 2021. Wow, time flies by. I'm not talking in my mic. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> Audience, I just hit myself in the face with the mic. You, you hit that mic so hard. That was awesome. It, it did not feel good. <laughs> okay, well, this is like January 8th mm-hmm. now. I can't believe we're already into 2021. Like way Can you in. believe that's ne- that next pe- de- pandemic started? <laughs> COVID-20? January is almost over now. Oh, I can't believe there's a second pandemic. <laughs> what are we going to do? I say that just, <laughs> just, and if it happens, John. I, I want this one to be like a zombie one, like a Will Smith and I Am Legend or something. That's when the I one saw I that movie, I really liked it. Uh-huh. The people I saw it with did not really like it. Did so- the people that did not like it, did they read the book? No. Okay, because the people that read the book first hate that movie because it oh. totally changes the whole. Not only does it change the entire like plot of the movie, really? but it reverses it. Oh, because in the book, spoiler alert: Will Smith is the bad guy. Oh my goodness! Right, and so and so it's like. Um, oh, I really want to read the book now. Yeah, it's so I. Yeah, just I'll just leave it at that. Book readers usually hate that movie. I don't mind it. I don't mind the movie because I like Will Smith. Yeah. He's very charismatic. Yeah. I enjoy most of his movies. Yeah. And uh, I enjoyed that one. I like zombie movies. So I like zombie movies, too, to a point. It's not my favorite thing, but I've seen a couple that I really liked a lot. I liked I Am Legend. A fair amount. I think the people that I saw with were, oh, it was Melissa Freeberg. Oh, really? Yeah, but and that is not up her alley. That wow. is not up her alley. Now that I think about it, I think that they were like, it was really depressing and really scary and sad. And I was like, okay, that's fair. I guess if you're not into that, you really wouldn't <laughs> like that sort of a movie. Have you seen both endings to that movie? They made two no. endings to So it. now, first of all, now I want to rewatch it, number one. And now I want to read the book because that actually sounds really interesting. Have you seen, uh, which ending did you see? What happened to Will Smith at the end? I think he died. Okay, so he blows up his like room yeah. with a grenade. To save a kid or something. Uh, the mom and the kid. Yeah, that's the one I saw. But it wasn't really to save them. It was to save the blood sample that he got from yeah. the people that the, he healed. Okay. But, okay, but there's a, there's a whole other ending where he lives. Oh. And goes with them to oh. the, the camp in New Hampshire or whatever. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's really bizarre what they did to it. The studio and the director must have had a lot of fights over it. Sure. Because no one makes two full endings. Like, they recorded both. I mean, they filmed both. That takes a lot of money. To, Seriously. Yeah. So what's your favorite zombie movie? Ooh. Well, I don't even know if I could name a whole bunch of them. But 28 Days Later, 28 Weeks Later. Have you seen both of those? No, I haven't. 
28 Days Later is good. Okay. Uh, I liked it. Um, I haven't seen the Weeks one. Okay. The sequel. Yeah. Um, World War Z, have you seen it? Nope. I thought it was okay. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of CGI. Okay. I don't like, generally speaking, yeah. I, CGI will turn me off on sure. a movie. Sure, sure. Um, World War Z had probably too much of that, but the stuff that wasn't CGI related, I liked it yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, I liked I Am Legend because there's very little CGI. Like, yeah. Um, oh, for sure. I like it a lot. And um, yeah, I don't know. What what zombie movies have you seen? Well, Zombieland is the first one that jumps out into I my brain. I haven't seen it. Oh, see, no, that's really funny and I liked it a lot. And then... Have you seen the sequel? No, I didn't. Okay. And then Shaun of the Dead. So oh, those sure. those two, yeah, I haven't seen that one either. Really, that's funny. The ones I that I've seen, oh, okay. Yeah. And Shaun of the Dead, I should have seen by now. It's ridiculous. So that I funny. I okay. So now here's my next question for you. Like, are there any other movies where either you really, really like the movie over the book version, or that you could think of that absolutely changed absolutely everything from? Oof. Yeah, that's too big of a question. Okay, for me. so let me ask you this: I mean, like, What are some... I loved the book uh, where the red fern grows growing up. Okay, I can't talk about this with you right now. And I keep talking. And seriously, the movie did a great job. I was just really thankful for the movie. Like, I thought that, and you probably won't even like the movie. And I, liked, I don't think I can watch the movie. I like the movie a lot. I love the dogs. The boy that they got was so cute. Yeah, and like it was just great. Also. Likewise, old movies, Anne of Green Gables, loved the books, oh, sure. loved the movie. Yeah, like, yeah. But, I mean, they both have, like, really important things to read in them, so yeah. it's, like, good. Uh, I, I need to tell you my story of where the Red Fern grows. Okay. Somehow I missed it growing up. I don't know like how. Like the movie? The movie and reading the book. What? So when how I, did you do that? I, I don't know. Some, like, it just, it was a hole. It happened. Oh, wow. So when I was in college, I took a class, and I can't remember which one it was. I think it was... <laughs> you didn't read it till college? I'm dead. Like, did you even know what it was? No, I knew oh, of it. Oh, you knew of it. Oh, yeah, thank I knew goodness. it was about Gracious. dogs, and I knew the dogs were going to die. That's okay. all I knew. Okay. Okay. So then I was in college, and I don't know if I was teaching. I don't think I was in developmental reading. I think it was like teaching adolescent young adult literature or something like that. And we all had a book that we had to read, and we all had to present on the book. And <laughs> I... I love where this is headed. Okay. Listen. <laughs> I was hoping that the first time you read it, you were student teaching in no. front of a class and like started breaking but down. Wait, I have done that, that before. Been amazing. I have done that before. That's a different story. <laughs> okay. But I will tell you that I was reading it for this class, and... I remember I had to finish it. And like uh, it's an easy breed obviously, mm-hmm. but I've saved I saved it way too long. And uh it was about midnight and my friends were like in a you know neighbor's room and uh <laughs> I was like okay, I have to finish this book. I'll, I don't it won't be too long. I'll be back. And they're like okay. So like I go back into my bedroom and I you know I'm reading and I'm sobbing. Yeah. Sobbing at 20 years old. Little Ann stops eating, Dan. Okay. Are you kidding me? John. Little Ann. We cannot bring this up right now. <laughs> this is not going to be a very <laughs> great podcast for our audience if you start talking about that. I'm sobbing on the floor. And yeah. then I walk out of their room after I finish it. And they were like, You okay? And I was like, No. And they're like, we knew this would happen. Come on, come on over, sit down. And we were eating popcorn, and I think I just started stuffing my face with popcorn. At that point. But anyway, that's funny. You had good friends. I had very good friends. 
Jared Lawrence might have even been there from from the short stories <laughs> episode. I don't know. There's a bunch of friends there. All that to say that there, I, it's interesting. I never really get angry about book to movie mm-hmm. adaptations because I'm kind of like, all right, I expect that to necessarily be the case. Although I remember with the Harry Potter movies, I thought to myself, I'm okay if they can make these movies 12 hours long. Mm-hmm. I welcome it. Keep making this movie as long as you can so that you can fit everything into it. And obviously I can't do that, but. They made some of the books into two movies, didn't they? Well, the last one. Okay. The last one they did, which was fine by me. Yeah. Some of the Stephen King movies they've made into movies oh, are fantastic. Oh, sure. They changed the ending of The Mist, and the the movie version is way better. What's the ending of the book version? Because, um, wait, the end of the so movie version. At the ending of the movie version, they decide to kill each other. Yes. And then the army comes right then. Yes. And Doesn't one guy live, the main guy? Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. That's the you know, whatever. Uh, Everybody dies. That's a problem. In the book, um, they either they just drive away and get away. I think something like that. And Stephen King was like, "Oh, Frank Darabont, you did way better with this story than I did." (laughs) (laughs) Like he's on record as saying the movie's better ending than his. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I haven't read the book, so I don't know what the ending is. I'm just guessing. It's... Stephen King and I have the same birthday. But he's also written The Green Mile. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. Please acknowledge it. And Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. And, and both movies are unbelievable. I mean, yeah. I mean so I like I like uh, book adaptations like Prince's Bride. Have you read Prince's Bride? I mean, oh, the movies. I've seen the movie. The movie's amazing, and the book is great, too. Yeah. Moneyball? The movie is better than the book, and the book is great, but the book is so like numbers oriented. Right, I couldn't imagine me loving the that book. it's not like it's not like oh you would love the book. It's such a good book. Okay. It's so well written. Michael Lewis is such a good author. Okay. Anyway, the point being, Dan, okay. is that is that the 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 movie the way it just like oh it's just magical. It turns these numbers into magic. You lost me. I'm sorry. Oh well. Watch the movie, okay. Moneyball. I've seen Moneyball several times, John. Oh, I put okay. it on my baseball movie list. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you listened to this podcast all the time. No, nah, I, I skipped that one. Oh, you skipped the baseball one, the one that might actually have been interesting to you. <laughs> yeah. But you stayed yeah. familiar with yeah. the Broadway one so that you could tell me that my friends that's, introduced that to me. That is correct. Oh, my goodness. I love Broadway oh my and God. Disney. You don't. That's your own And dogs. Oh, well, dog. No, yeah, I was about to say you don't love dogs. So John has a lot of things that he fake loves that actually people really love. This was a really great board game talk. I know. I wanted to talk about board games, but you got into a good conversation about zombies in those movies, and I think we should go. And this has nothing to do with our topic today, our topic with Houston Craft. So whatever. It's just (laughs) Wait, what what is our topic today? It is words that we don't have in the English language. Oh, right. Oh, man. You guys are way too smart for me. Yeah, this one got very heady. I didn't know any of those words. Well, I don't think you're supposed to know the well, words. Well, I, I agree, but I don't even know how to find words. Oh, sure. From other languages, because I'm not smart like that. But, you know. You just have to Google it. Yeah. Top five board games of all time, Dan, go. Clue. I'd probably... And I'm including Master Detective and Museum okay, Caper. I'm just, I'm just choosing Master Detective. I know you love Master I know you love Master Detective. Uh, Definitely in my top five. Okay. Clue. I, I I would probably put five straight up there, John. Five straight is an amazing game. It's a really great game. I took that game with me to Peru on a missions nice. trip. And I'm glad I did because it brought us together. We laughed. We had yeah. a good time. However, the one thing that made me angry about it is we had one free day. 
And we had this opportunity to, apparently to go to, like a really cool like fountain park that like had beautiful fountains that were accompanying to music, etc. And my team of high school students wanted to go back to the apartment <laughs> to play five straight <laughs> instead of spend they, they a chose, night in Peru. They chose five straight I was over Machu so Picchu. <laughs> Mad. Oh, we didn't have a chance for Machu Picchu. Oh, okay. But all that to say that that made me. Um, <laughs> I was infuriated by yeah. that. Believe it or not, I like Monopoly if you play it by the correct rules. Oh yeah, I hate Monopoly. Yeah, I don't like it. Too many bad memories. Yeah, I can understand why you would hate it, and it takes forever. Yeah. But if you play by the correct rules, and here's the funny thing: games like Monopoly and Risk that take a little bit of time. Now that I've played them online or like as an app, I don't want to play the board game version because it's, it's so, so slow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I have to count all these yeah. armies to put into yeah. Peru. I, I play Cities and Nights of um, it's a Settlers of Catan expansion. Okay. okay, I play that online. And yeah. it's a breeze. Like a whole yeah. game is like five to eight minutes. Yeah. And if you play in real life, it's like four hours. Oh, that would drive like, me nuts. So I mean, like, you can't beat it. You introduced like, through it. Dominion to Lori and me. Yeah. And we love Dominion. I haven't played. We need great. to play Dominion. We haven't played that in a long yeah, time. We'll play. We'll play um, it soon. I, I like Dominion because I can handle it more than a lot of those other games, like mm. the Cones of Dunshire. Like, <laughs> like card card building games, deck building. Yeah, like those games just drive me nuts. And I I know that people love them, they're great, but like for me, Dominion is a way more manageable than some mm. of the other ones. Yeah. And then Mm, what other board game? See, and here's the thing. I like a lot of trivia games, but nobody will play trivia games. I love Trivial Pursuit. We played Trivial Pursuit that one time and yeah. had a really good time. Everybody else hated it, though. No, but it was fun. Right. Everyone liked it. Plus, everyone learned something. It's nice. Oh, thanks, Grandpa. Okay, what are your favorites? <laughs> uh, Clue Master Detective. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love Clue so much. Yeah, I think I it's too. so fun. Scategories. It's probably on mine. Well, I have so many bad feelings about because I love I love when people come up with interesting ways to fit things in a specific category. Yeah, like on the commercial yeah. when he says "neatness as a disease," you'll accept that, or I'm going to take my game and go. <laughs> like I love that guy. I want to be his that friend. <laughs> I I'm like okay, that guy is awesome. Apart. Is that a problem? I'm, I'm sure that you can break whatever you want, man. It's Thanks, fine. Buddy. Um. I used to, as a kid, love this game called Dark Tower. It was only made one year in 1981. I have, a, I have the game. I had, I borrowed it from my neighbors for like years and years and years and yeah. years. Then I gave it back to them. It was an expensive game. I think it was like two hundred dollars back in 1981. Wow. So that's like you know Atari 2600 yeah. level of cost, and because it had like a mechanical tower that like did stuff. That's cool. So you would play the game on like the tower, um, but. Um, it was a blast, and I loved it. I ha- I bought the game off eBay. It worked for many years, and now it just stopped working. Oh, no. So I'm going to have to get the tower repaired, but I like it a lot. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm crossing my fingers because there's two more games I want to talk about. Settlers so. of Catan, yep. but only Cities and Knights. I don't like the regular Settlers, Settlers of Catan. I think that they uh, mispowered some of the cards, like the oh, Resource Monopoly card, sure. and they fixed it in Cities and Knights. Oh, that's good. And so um, the balance is much better. And okay. it's a lot more fun, too. So um, I actually like to play Cities and Nights and Seafarers combined into one game. It's a lot of fun. And um, my kids love it. And then um, I really like Seven Wonders, probably. I do like Seven Wonders. Yeah. That, that's another one of those games I can handle. Yeah. Mm. You know what games I don't kind of I don't like? I don't like the games where we're all on the same team together. Oh, sure. I've played a couple of those before, and I don't like those because... I don't have to do anything. Yeah. I would like to play Shadows of a Camelot with you. That's um it's a Is it a team game? It's a team game. You're but on how the is same that team. like it's it's fun. 
It's, it's a good game. Uh, no, I agree with you in general that I don't like co-op games. Right. I, I prefer games where either you're all battling each other or right. or you're battling a common enemy, something like that. Do you remember the game? It might have been after your time. Fireball Island? But on different teams I met. Oh, okay. Uh, I switched and decided to go back. Well, I because what I said was stupid. I, I, oh, I said okay. I don't like cooperative games, but I like games that have a common enemy. That's the same thing as a cooperative game. But, like, there are games where you're still on separate teams, even though... So you have to battle each other while also battling the game. Oh, and sure. And I like that. Okay, I can so, handle that. Then. Yeah. Have you heard of the game Fireball Island? <laughs> I have not. <laughs> it was this cool board game that like built up to a tower. Oh, and sure. like you would like move your piece up. And then what would happen is certain cards would get played and like this idle scary thing at the top you would like put a marble in and it would like shoot down a row and if it knocked over your piece then you had to start all over again oh, which fun. i always thought was really cool it's like mousetrap kind of well mousetrap yeah. was the other one i was going to talk about oh, okay i don't think i've ever played an actual version of mousetrap i just like setting it up and watching it <laughs> sure. fall apart because i have a thing for rube goldberg machines okay. so i don't know mousetrap i think is pretty cool that's awesome i don't know where we're going to put this episode about games but i'm excited that you're going to put it in somewhere <laughs> Well, it's of course fits in perfect with foreign words. Listen, we've talked about most zombies. games. Most games are good games these days are made in Germany. Do you guys have that any German true. words? That is true. In this upcoming episode, I to- well, we've got a lot of German words. Oh my goodness, this yeah. fits perfect. I hope you like this German episode of Lost in Lists. It actually is a great episode. Houston Craft is an amazing. Um, I call him a friend. Sure, he's my friend now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you know him more than most people that go to his conferences and stuff. At least he came on a podcast. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And maybe he'll come again. He seemed to enjoy himself. I hope so. so. All that to say that he is an author. He is a creator of a social emotional learning curriculum that I'm very familiar with called Character Strong. And he was so willing to come on to the podcast today. And we had a great time talking. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. Best friend Houston Craft, welcome to Lost and Lists, my friend. How you doing tonight, sir? I am uh, a word that we will get to later in the episode. Oh, even better. Look at your foreshadowing getting us into the episode <laughs> already. That's amazing. I love it. Houston, can you tell our listening audience a little bit about who you are, what you're all about, what do you do? Who is Houston Craft? Ready, set, go. Oh, uh, um, okay. Uh, He's squinting his eyes right now. Yeah, I'm clenching my fists. Who am I in a summary? Well, I recently (laughs) learned that I'm a Gemini, not a Taurus. So that was pretty world changing, as you can imagine. Wait, you said you don't know your birthday? (laughs) See? Well, we're, it it was, I know my birthday. I know my date. (laughs) May 20th. I learned that I was born at like 11.06 p.m., which is like six minutes into Geminiism. Oh, wow. I did yeah, I didn't I even know. know that was something. <laughs> it was a real world bender for me. All right. So that's me pretty much in a nutshell. A, a Taurus turned Gemini. What else do you want to know? <laughs> that's fantastic. And what do you do, Houston? What are you all about? Uh, I, I've been working in schools for a decade. I started out speaking in schools, doing assemblies and workshops. I spoke at 600 high schools and middle schools over the course wow. of about seven years. I... 
which was a lot. I spent a lot of time in uh, on airplanes and Hampton Inns in rental car shuttles. I spent a lot of time in, in transit and then some precious few minutes actually storytelling and with the aim of, of hopefully telling meaningful stories that inspired more kindness in the world. And then I realized that I can't scale myself uh, and I was tired of being on a lot of airplanes and I wanted to have a bigger, I still do want to have a more systemic impact on particularly education. And so uh, one of my heroes and I, started a thing called Character Strong Together, which is mm-hmm. a curriculum company that focuses on teaching. We have we have content for pre-K through 12th grade um, that supports, I like to think about like kindness as mm-hmm. this external skill that's informed by a whole lot of internal intelligences, right? So if we're not teaching the things that live beneath kindness, we can say we want more compassionate, kind people all we want. If they don't have the right tools in the toolbox, then we're asking them to build something that they're ill-equipped to build. So that's the work. And we now work with about 2,500 schools, uh, including some of the ones that you work with, Dan, yes. which is exciting, uh, yes. to try to create a more loving world. That's the end game. It's a long and game. I think it's a fantastic game to play, and we will continue to play it as long as we can. So what our audience might not necessarily understand is, so when you and I were in school, for the most part, you know, we had our main subjects. We had math, we had English, we had the classes that we went to, we had our exploratory classes, our electives that we went to. And if we wanted to learn anything related to soft skills or anything related to character qualities in school, it was mostly if we just had teachers tell us them or teach us them through whatever lessons they were teaching. You know, I think about it for a second. I was an English teacher and it was really, really easy for me to teach about soft skills and character qualities and positive things to do through literature. But now we have curriculum to do it. For example, like your curriculum that you created character strong. And so just kind of wanted to bring that up in the fact that I think like a little bit, sometimes like maybe people around our age or even a little bit older don't necessarily realize that like, this is something that's being taught in school schools and from your background and from where you came from you 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 kind of saw a need for that yeah i i feel like (laughs) i don't know i think one of the things i'm perpetually frustrated in is the gap between what we say is important and what we make important right that gap is fascinating to me Uh, like we can so collectively i i think say we value kindness and then as i look into the world we're really bad at it and i'm like curious about that well, mm-hmm. where, what is in that gap, right? What are we missing? Whether that's in our role modeling, whether that's in our families, whether that's in the narratives that cultures, that culture tells young people or, uh, you know, the paradigms that are offered to us of what success is or what it means to quote unquote, make it in the world. Like all those things uh, inform um, sort of the end result of, of our, of the way we treat one another. And so, yeah, that's, that's sort of my work. I think that like, I think education is the number one pathway to a better world Yeah. Uh, because ultimately the behaviors, the skills that we teach today are going to inform the behaviors we experience collectively tomorrow. Yeah. And, and behavior is an outward facing thing that's informed by a bunch of internal stuff. So, um, yeah, I, you know, growing up, I, I, there was a lot of indirect teaching on this stuff and our goal is to be more explicit in it. Um, and that's a delicate balance, especially as you get into like middle school and high school age kids. Oh yeah. The, the, my, one of my favorite English words is reactance. 
which is the idea that anything that you tell teenagers to do, they will inherently want to do the opposite. <laughs> I love it. It's true, though. I mean, you're, you're, you're so passionate about this that you even wrote a book about it, right? Yeah. yeah. Do you I like that segue? About... Did I do that well? That was seamless. That was really nice. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I wrote a book called Deep Kindness, which is, uh, I suppose the premise of the whole book is one of the most damaging um, narratives we have in our culture, I think, is that kindness is free. Having worked in lots of schools, I see kindness is like, you know, it's the thing painted on all walls. It's part of all mission statements, all mottos. Like the idea of being kind is seems almost like a given. And then I see posters in schools that are things like throw kindness around like confetti. Yeah. And I've realized over 10 years of doing this, I'm like, I want to tear that poster down because <laughs> every time I see it now, I think about you talking about it and how much you hate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the danger of like well-intentioned, but harmful things, which are all around us among them. Yeah. Like this idea, that poster, don't get me wrong. I get what it's trying to do. It's like, we should spread more kindness. What it's unintentionally and more dangerously doing is particularly offering young people the narrative that kindness is simple and easy. Hmm. And sure, there are random acts that might not cost much, but for just about all of the most meaningful actions of kindness, or what I would describe as deep kindness, it's going to cost us something. Time, at the very least, of which we have limited amounts of. Energy, mm -hmm. which we're all of us overwhelmed and a bit exhausted. <laughs> uh, We've been exhausted the, for nine months now. <laughs> exactly. And at the highest levels, it's going to cost us uh, cost us our, our pride, our ego, our, our comfort, our willingness to mm. extend ourselves into other people's experience in ways that are really uncomfortable for us. And that, that's a big deal. Um, and so I think the way we talk about things is going to shape the way we act with them. And if we talk about kindness in a way that is oversimplified, or as I like to say, fluffifies the thing, mm. then we don't actually allocate the necessary resources to get better at it. Yeah. You know, I used to teach middle school. I taught it for 16 years. I've been out of it for about a year and a half now. And that was one thing that I always stressed to my students is, uh, you know, it's so easy for us to tear each other down. That's easy to make each other feel bad or to to, to bully or to, to say negative things, because essentially all you're doing is you're putting yourself first. But to be kind is to put yourself second and to care for someone else more than necessarily you're caring for yourself. So it takes a lot more effort and extra energy to be able to do, but it is so much more obviously worth the while. And I'll tell you friends, I've I'm, I'm in deep kindness right now. I've been reading the book. Houston, I love it. It's great. Uh, it's, I, I feel like it's one of those things where I'm going to read probably a couple more times to get a couple more nuggets out every single time. Uh, because you know, you, with, with, you know, you're like drinking from a fire hose, a fire hose, that old expression. Like it's just so much good stuff at you once that you're like, okay, I need to go back and look at this again. So kudos to you. It's, it's, it's some great stuff that I've seen so far. Thanks man. Yeah. To, to touch on what you said previously, one of my favorite little, uh, I suppose stories to highlight what you just shared of like, it's harder to be kind. Um, I heard this story from a friend, Brad Montague, who, was an amazing creator and artist. He created Kid President, among a lot of other things. Oh, yeah. And uh, he, he tells the story of, of Margaret Mead, famous cultural anthropologist, um, and a, a lecture, supposedly, where someone raised their hand and asked, where does civilization start? With the expectation that it's like in the forming of government or in agriculture. And Margaret Mead says, um, it starts with a broken bone that has been healed. Ooh. And they're like, what? 
<laughs> she goes on to explain that civilization starts, in fact, they've uncovered bones where they see a femur that has been broken and then healed. She goes, that's the beginning of civilization where our natural instincts are self-preservational and beg us to move forward as we travel, as we're nomadic originally. And the fact that when someone was injured, that someone else chose to go back yeah. against their self-preservational instincts that act of compassion is what makes us human and she says a broken femur that's been healed that's where civilization starts oh i like that i do too john if i broke my femur would you fix it nope okay <laughs> john you need to read deep kindness by houston graft so i got audience, a book for you it's a good so that's what you're getting for christmas so audience uh, houston is on today uh the reason we're connected is because um the Racine Unified School District that I work for has adapted or has adopted, excuse me, character strong for their sixth through twelfth grade uh, uh, schools for all those grades. And uh, it is also implemented uh, the purposeful people curriculum, which is super cool that I'm getting to learn a little bit more about uh, here and there is also used uh, heavily in our elementary uh, schools as well. And uh, Houston did me a solid today to be able to come on the podcast. And so I'm grateful to have him and we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get into what our topic is and our countdown all right houston when you gave me your top five topic i was like "Ooh, this is one of the most intelligent ones we've had so far <laughs> am i smart <laughs> enough to do it and then i was able to come up with three really really quickly so i'm gonna let you introduce the topic talk a little bit about maybe why you chose it and then we'll get into our list sound good Mm, yes. All right, go for it. What are we talking about today and why are we talking about it? We're talking about the favorite non-English words. As a native English speaker myself uh, and as someone that has always loved words, I think my my love for words started young. I'll never forget sitting in the bath and my mom at the age of like, I don't know, I was like four or five. She was teaching me how to spell temperature temper at shore and breaking it down. And then I became obsessed. I'm an only child and I, maybe I just wanted to win at everything. I, I became obsessed with trying to learn the longest words in the English language to be able to spell them. I had like a, a good memory when I was a kid and I liked living into that and being like, all right, give me the longest words. Flock of pocket inhalabilification. I'm on it. Nemonotomous, microscopic, silicobal, canocanaiosis. Give it to me. I want to spell that. <laughs> and that was a nerdy and important chapter of my life. Uh, and as I've gotten older, my appreciation for words have, has deepened because uh, I've realized the power they have in shaping literally everything that we do. Right? Language, we forget, is not only an external thing. That is our way we understand words in our mind is going to determine so much of our experience in the world, how we feel, language we use to do, to to think about and process how we feel, to make decisions in our brain. Uh, I like to say that the, the way we think about something in our brain shapes the way we act with it in the world. And so I love words that help me understand or orient myself in the world better. And at the end of the day, uh, English is one of the more clumsy languages. Oh, it's There's... awful. It's awful. <laughs> I will say yeah. it right now as a teacher of it for many years. It's awful. As an English teacher, you got an English major in the building. We're both mm -hmm. like, this does not do the trick. And so I mm -hmm. love non-English words that capture something otherwise uh, poorly expressed in English. Nice. So what is your number five, your fifth favorite non-English word to capture that human experience? Start us off. Tell us about it. The word is a German word. It is Liebenschmud. Ooh. <laughs> wait, okay. Hold on. 
Liba. Is that love of some kind? Close. Close. Okay. So keep going. <laughs> I did take German for two years, and I'm going to tell you, the only thing I remember is Ich muss meine Hose ausgehen und tanzen, which is I must take off my pants and dance, which, of course, is the only thing that you learn when you're, you know, a high school student taking German. But tell yeah, us course. what your word means. <laughs> the Lebensmut is life tired. It translates to life tiredness. This is a bit how I'm feeling today. Uh, it can be translated into a few different ways. For some, it's it's truly that sense of like life is overwhelming. Um, it could be seen as as depressed or or that sad about life. Um, for me, it's a bit more of just like the the overwhelm of uh, so many responsibilities coming at me at once. At the end of each day, I feel life tired. Like life mm. has <laughs> made me tired. It also gets occasionally used to talk about like when I'm tired of the repetition of life, um, we do something to shake it up. Like someone who is feeling Liebenschmude might go skydiving oh. in order to, you know, to disrupt the routine, the monotony of life. So the first word is, is my, my, um, my last name, Kraft, Croft is German. So that one has particular resonance for me. Yeah. Okay. I like the start of this. All right, so my number five is also a German word. Now, I'm going to tell you, like I said, there were three that popped up into my mind right away when I thought about this topic. And this first one is not a very nice, deep kindness topic. Like, I'm going to be honest with you, it's 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 a negative word, but it is the first one that came to my mind. And we talked a little bit earlier about how, like, you had a theater background, I directed some plays, I'm a big fan of theater as well. And my number five word is schadenfreude. Are you familiar? Oh, I see a smile and a little bit of a head nod. Okay. (laughs) So schadenfreude is happiness at the misfortune of others. And I have a little clip that's going to go along with this that John is going to play right now. Right now you are down and out and feeling really crappy. I'll see. And when I see how sad you are, it sort of makes me Happy, happy, sorry, Nikki, human nature, nothing I can do, it's schadenfreude, making me feel glad that I'm not you. Now, that clip comes from the musical Avenue Q, which is a very funny musical, but also highly inappropriate. Do not take (laughs) youngsters to see this musical. In fact, like... Don't take old people to see the musical. Like, there just needs to be a good, good, like, gap right in there. But let's be honest. America's Funniest Home Videos with Bob Saget, like, that was a TV show that made a lot of money and that was on the air for years and years and years and years. And anybody that watched that show, really, it was essentially laughing at people getting hurt. Now, listen, it's not something that we want to promote, but we all do it. And there's little things that happen that make us giggle when somebody has some sort of misfortune that takes place. Now, look, like I said, I'm not about the hateful part. I've got four other very, very positive words, but I think we could probably all identify with having that experience of, of schadenfreude. You know, you, you watch someone slip and fall or something, you know, negative happens. And then we're going to have deep kindness. We're going to go heal their femur. We're going to go help That's them right. with that. But uh, we're going to maybe giggle a little bit first. I love it. I love that we opened with the, the dueling German words. Right, but they're only going to get better now. I, I, well, my list is going to get more positive. I'm sure yours is too. You wrote, you wrote a book on kindness. What's your number four? Keep it going. Number four is Sankofa. Are you familiar with it? No. 
Keep going. It's I'm thinking, African I'm word. trying to figure out like what language it is at the same time, but I don't yeah. know. What is this one? Uh, it's an African word from a uh, tribe in Ghana. Okay. Uh, and to give you a visual um, that is most commonly associated with it, it is a bird who is, uh, who is looking backwards. And okay. The, the rough translation is go back and get it. Ooh. Go back and get it. Uh, and the whole premise is, is patient investigation, intellectual curiosity, and, and holding the past as critically important for what we do next. Okay. It's good Say stuff. it again. What is it again? Sankofa. Sankofa. Uh-huh. Go and get it. Go back and get it. Go back and get it. Like, that's that, probably what I'm going to <laughs> start using it as. Like, go back and get it. Sankofa. That back nice. part is, is the key, right? You got to. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's not just go and get it. Go back yeah. and get it. Yeah. Like, I might say that to my 21 month old son as he's like leaving toys as he's, you know, running out of the room or whatever. No, just kidding. No, that's <laughs> yeah. cool. I like that. So from an, 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 from from Ghana, African tribe yeah. in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Houston, I'm curious on where you first ran into that phrase. It's funny. In fact, I'm I'm curious on all all five of yours. Yeah, yeah, that'll uh, be that'll be interesting. I, I'm very mm. interested in in where where you ran into the phrase. I have I have stories for all of them. Liebenschmud, I discovered uh, in a deck of cards that I ordered for myself, um, called German Untranslatable Words. Which Ooh. are all the words that are basically, it's a whole stack of cards that are brutal for me to try to pronounce, but all have like <laughs> complicated meanings wrapped up in a single word. Uh, I love that deck. Sankofa, awesome. speaking of Brad Montague, I read for the first time in his book, Becoming Better Grownups, uh, which is fantastic. We had a beautiful fireside chat about it. And Sankofa was one of, as a word nerd, uh, it stood out to me. So it's one of the things that we chatted about together. Did you also want to be in spelling bees? You know, I never went down that road. Surprisingly, okay. I think I just wanted the self satisfaction. Okay, and not the competition didn't drive you so much as to uh, start memorizing dictionaries. Yeah, not in that lane of my life. But yeah, okay, that would have been in my lane of my life if I <laughs> if I if I had that passion for that. So my number four is also, I'm sticking with the German, but this is my last German one that I have here. And I, I don't completely know how to pronounce it, but I'm going to go with what I remember from high school German. And that's Gunen. Okay. G U N N E N. And the definition is to feel completely safe as though nothing could ever harm you. This is usually connected to a particular place or person. So have you ever heard this one before? Mm. No. So I think that like as a kid, you know, you can think about like either parents or adults in your life or some sort of, of, of uh, for lack of a better phrase, parental or safe figure. Uh, and I think for some people, you know, it could also be like they mentioned, a place like uh, like that classic children's book, Bridge to Terabithia. You know, yeah. in that book, they go off to Terabithia and they these kids are in their place. They're in their elements. They're in their comfort zone. It's it's kind of like their their um, hideaway, their escape, you know, spot. Uh, and I think that like we have. I, I I would hope to think that a majority of us would have some sort of goonin in our life, some sort of like person or if not a person, some sort of place where we feel um, completely safe. But then also realizing that there is uh, has to be a fair amount of a population of people that don't have those sorts of things. And 
we have to be watchful for that. We have to be careful to see that. We have to kind of be tuned into others and 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 do our best to recognize those sorts of things to, to be able to be encouraging to them. Mm-hmm. So um, I I really liked this one when I discovered this one and uh, this one again Gunan it is to feel completely safe as though nothing could ever harm you. Usually connected to a particular place or person. Mm. That's a beautiful one. I like that a lot. Yeah. So, so much of about- our so much of our work tries to aim towards that, right? Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, we talk about in our classroom how we try to make our students feel um, comfortable, that they feel safe. And, you know, I don't know if I want to say necessarily, unfortunately, maybe we have the fortunate opportunity to do this as teachers, but we get the opportunity to let them know that they are safe there. You know what I mean? That that school should be a place that they have a little bit of gooning at Um, or at least that's that's what we're trying to do. You're right. Yep. So number three, number three. Oh, we're getting into the Greek words. Oh, it's good here. I got some Greek. I'm so excited. Keep good, going. good. Uh, my word for number three spot is akrasia. Okay. Not familiar. I don't know why I think I'm going to be familiar with any of these. Every single one, I'm like, maybe I'll know. No, I don't know. Who am Are I we talking about Tommy Boy soon? Yeah. <laughs> Somehow in every episode, we start talking about Tommy Boy or Parks and Recreation. Like these are these are topics that pop up at some point. I'm, we'll see what we can make happen. I'm, I'm the dummy of this <laughs> podcast. God, that's for sure. No, you're not. I don't even know what you guys are talking about. Words. I I don't know many foreign words. Well, you're and, learning and them today. These are super yeah. fun to find yeah. out, but I just feel very inadequate. Well, listen to Houston. He's going to tell you about acrasia. <laughs> okay, okay. Go for it. Acrasia is, uh, this one's for you, John, weakness of will. Oh, John, that was <laughs> that that cuts deep, Houston. <laughs> I I didn't mean that. Yeah, that that came off poorly. <laughs> it's not for you, as <laughs> I meant. But just like in theory, like, we're going to talk about something. this one, John. Make sure you listen. <laughs> That's right. It's not so much here or here. It's right about. <laughs> oh, 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 Houston! <laughs> Best podcast guest ever. That was amazing. Thank you for doing that, for John. <laughs> Uh, okay back to serious topic <laughs> weakness of will it's a good one it's i so i stumbled upon this one john uh in one of my uh, uh, newsletter i get it's one of my favorites it's called brain pickings by a woman named maria popova who has to be one of the most well-read people on the planet she curates articles and blogs and poetry and art and readings and philosophy from all different disciplines and then she writes themed newsletters with like a theme as a through line connecting all these sort of disparate pieces. She's brilliant. Um, and brain one of the words, pickings, brainpickings.org. Okay. She's, she's incredible. John, and I, stum- going on the website. I okay. stumbled upon a crazia there and um, it translates in, in Greek to a weakness of will. And the, the way to sort of reframe that and in, in the context that you re- they were describing is uh, it's our, our perpetual habit of not listening to what we accept should be heard and a failure to act upon what we know is right. Ooh. So it's oh, dang. It's those, those moments where like, I know I should do a thing, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I feel like we're getting taken to church right now, but Houston, <laughs> this is good. That's one of my favorite words. It's one of the, I think it's like one of the, the grandest sort of, human uphill battles is when we know something is capital R right. And we still don't do it. Mm. Nice. I feel smarter already. That's a good one. 
that's cool. So my number three that I have is from the language of Huron, which I had to look up because I had no idea what that was. Okay. And I'm going to tell you that it is like from the Huron Indians. John, I didn't know. Okay. Oh, you didn't know they were Indians? No, John, I didn't know oh, what okay. Huron was. Oh, okay. That's oh. fine. You need to read and watch Last of the Mohegans. I do man. need to watch that. Okay. So the language <laughs> of Huron. All right. And <laughs> now Houston's beginning to realize what our relationship is more like here. <laughs> He's listening here. Listening to us. Oh, Josh um, is coming in hot after he was all critical yeah. himself. Yeah. Now he's like, oh, you don't know this. The linguistic history of the Huron. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not up to speed. I apologize. I'll go back. Uh, okay. It is, the word is orenda. And it is the power of the human will to change the world in the fa face of powerful forces such as fate. So this idea that like, despite anything that's happening, despite any um, insurmountable odd, like, like literally could be an insurmountable odd against you. Like, you know, you're going to lose. Okay. But you have that such a strong desire of the will to change. So kind of like the opposite of yours that you just had there, Houston, yeah, that this, so this good. one orenda is, is, um, I don't know. I feel like it's like highlighted in tons of movies. I feel like it is um, something that I, we definitely still would want to teach our students that we you have that will, despite the fact um, that, you know, you're going to be licked. And like if you've if you've ever listened to any episode of this podcast, again, like I said, we've talked about so many different things, but I am a ridiculous To Kill a Mockingbird fan. Uh, I loved teaching it when I was in school teaching. I love uh, referencing the movie a ton of times. And Atticus Finch knew that he had no chance to win that case. But he has that character quality of Orenda because he knows that uh, uh, there's no chance. Fate is going to happen. These people are going to find, you know, Tom Robinson guilty, but, uh, he's got that character quality and he's going to stand up for it and do what he can, no matter what. So that's my number three. That's good. That's a good one. I love that. Those are contrasting each other. It's like we planned it. We didn't plan it folks. We didn't plan it. That's just how <laughs> lost in this works. All right. So you've got two more. What is your runner up? What's your number two? Number two, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to give a, 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 a slashy. I'm going to give a tie. Oh, because they are interrelated. Okay. To me, uh, we're 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 going Greek to Japanese. Oh, okay. Ooh. The Greek is Meraki. The Japanese Ikigai. Okay. So Meraki in Greek is to leave a piece of yourself in your work. Okay. To be translated somewhat to legacy, but to infuse your work with a piece of you. Ikigai in Japanese translates roughly to a reason for being. And if you've ever seen perhaps a graphic, think of like a very complicated Venn diagram where lots of things are coming together. Mm -hmm. And at the center would be described as your Ikigai, your reason for being. Some mm -hmm. of those circles would be what the world needs, what you can get paid for, mm -hmm. what you're good at, and what you love. Right? The intersection ah. of all those things as a framework for thinking uh, the Japanese phrase that is our reason for being, and it's a process, an ongoing process of self-discovery. So I link them together because I think if you have a clear Ikigai, then you will want to have that Meraki. You will want to leave a piece of yourself in your work. It would seem to me that I would want all of those circles to not be a Venn diagram, but to kind of come all together and be as lined up as possible. You know what I mean? Like all mm. those categories that you just said. Say those categories again one more time. <laughs> Sorry. What the world needs. Okay. What you can get paid for. Okay. What you're good at. 
Uh huh. And what you love. Yeah, I want all those to not like. I don't want any inner. I want that all to be the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So in the in the gra- I agree. Because <laughs> graphic- I'm 11 years old and I want the best. And I have a Renda. I want the best thing. <laughs> and I think you you. I mean, I think part of the goal would be to move towards those things. The beauty of the right. graphic and the Venn diagram is it articulates the distinction of those things in a way that helps you, I think, more clearly understand what Ikigai is. So, uh, like what the world needs and what you love. The graphic would talk about it as like, that's like a mission, but like what the world needs and what you can get paid for would be a vocation. Right. What you love and what you're good at is your passion. What you're good at and what you can get paid for is your, is a job. (laughs) Yeah. So you think about like those different intersections and then realize, yeah, the true gift is how can you create deeper alignment? I'm sure your number one is great, but that one's my favorite right now. It is good. Good thing. It's number two. That one. Yeah. That one. Okay, so my number two and my number one are going to be um, more connected to my faith and my spiritual spirituality. So um, I first heard this word when I was in college. I went to a small Christian university in the middle of nowhere, Ohio, called Cedarville University. And I remember being in uh, a class where the word koinonia was brought up. And that is, have you heard that word before? No. Okay, so koinonia is a Greek word. My top two are Greek words. You'll know my number one. Top two are Greek yes. words. And koinonia is this idea of such tight um, fellowship, first with God, but more commonly used with other people that believe the same things that you believe. Like that, 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 you know, we will, we, we'll, you know, in my circles, we'll call it Christian fellowship, but this fellowship of, of, of such a tight bond with each other that, Almost kind of like, and this connects to my number one in just a little bit, but almost like surpasses the idea of, of just like friends. Um, when I was, so before I was in Racine, I taught at a a small private Christian school for about eight years. And I'll tell you when you, when you work at a private school, it is a whole other ball of wax. Okay. And (laughs) one of those big balls of wax is that you don't get paid much. And so I worked at this school. I taught maybe three or four different classes, not the same class. I worked part-time management position at the gap for nine years. (laughs) I know way too much about women's denim. Uh, I ended up directing the plays at the school. And then, you know, you find other ways to like be able to make money or things like that. But the thing that I loved the most about it is not only just the education of the kids, obviously, and and building some great connections and bonds of, uh, with students that I still even talk to today is that we as a staff were very, very tight with each other. Everybody helped each other out. There was no, and, and I don't know, maybe this is just my rosy posy, you know, optimistic, Danny side of me, but there was, there was very little, um, I don't know. I, there was very little conflict. Like we were knew that we were in this together, helping each other out as much as we can. And so a couple of buddies of mine and I developed a little bit of a club. Okay. We called ourselves the wolf pack. And the very first time, and this is what we did. We, we would go out early in the morning on a Friday, once a month, we would go down to Lake Michigan and just run into the water and then run out, get coffee, get a muffin, and then we would go back and teach that day. And we did it every single month that we could physically bear it. And each month we added a new guy into the club. And I think at mm-hmm. one point at the biggest, we had about 14 or 15 guys. Uh, 
we did it in December one time. I think January was the only month we ever missed. Like one time we went out in January to see and it was ice. Like we would have died. Yeah. But like, <laughs> but I think we did it in February one time. Like we, for about two years, tried to do this. And it was this tight bond, this koinonia that we had with each other that, I mean, first of all, I smile because I think about these remembrances and it's one of the funniest memories that I've had. But, um, just knowing that the staff and the people around me were were supportive and encouraging and when life was bad and rough um i knew that there was people at my at my at my job that loved and cared that much um because not only did we have this bond of teaching but we also had this bond of like a similar belief system as well so my number 2 is koinonia it's a great word i like it so what tops your list? What's number one? What is uh, the top of the mountain? Mudita. Ooh, sounds like money, but it's not. Mudita. Mudita. Sanskrit. Okay. Sanskrit uh-huh. word. Sneaking in. I could put a couple Sanskrit words on there, but uh, Mudita is vicarious joy. Okay. It is uh, my favorite premise, and I'll give you, um, I think, the clearest example of when I first experienced it in a profound way was summer camp okay. where I went as a delegate going into my senior year of high school and uh, had my paradigms and a lot of my life changed. And you know, on the last day of camp, leaving people and you're, you're an emotional mess. <laughs> you've made over the course of a week, you've made friends <laughs> that feel deeper than a life and everyone's <laughs> hugging and like, I love you. We're going to be best friends. Yeah. And uh, it was a profound experience. In fact, it was the first time I met John, my co-founder in Character Strong and all these beautiful connections. Uh, I went back the next year as a counselor. And I remember on the closing night watching students uh, experience what I had gone through the year before. And I remember just crying off to the side. And I was only standing next to one of my friends, Monica, um, who was also a counselor. And she saw me like crying, watching these kids. And she looked at me and she goes, you get it. And I, and I think about that work that I, I I suppose in some ways have pursued ever since of like my goal in storytelling, my goal in curriculum creation is vicarious joy. I want us, I want to bear witness to people experiencing aha moments or change or self-love or whatever that thing is. And, you know, that's really the gift of what many educators I think are in Mm. the work for. It's vicarious joy. The work itself is really brutal and hard (laughs) and occasionally thankless. And a lot of times the most profound moments are when it's non-direct, like you're off to the side and you're watching the kid, whatever the moment is, either get it intellectually or socially or, or from a sense of belonging or safety perspective, um, vicarious joy. And I will end with a, an edit, okay. which is uh, something that uh, my partner Sarah and I have, have coined with each other. Sarah is an incredible foodie, loves food so much, and her greatest joy is watching me eat the things that she <laughs> loves or watching me eat the things she makes. And so we've changed it slightly in those situations to be foodita. Ooh, Nice. <laughs> vicarious joy in watching other people imbibe things that you know are delicious i like that that's great (laughs) that's awesome yeah you know you hit the nail on the head when it came when it comes to teaching you know uh, as a middle school teacher it's hard 
to have those moments. You don't see those moments that often, and it's rare that somebody grows up and goes back and says, I remember middle school and this middle school classroom. And so from day one of my career, I, I kept so many like notes and cherished emails and things like that, that, that have been sent to me because when the going gets tough, you break out that bin and you start going through them and it kind of helps you get through it. But you still see those moments of, 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 exploration and discovery and learning and then you know it's worth it and then it matters and that it yeah. is uh that is true mudita Ooh, look at this we're getting smart here on this podcast john <laughs> so my number one is so okay you know we know of the city philadelphia is the city of brotherly love and it's just that word or that prefix i don't know if we necessarily want to how we want to say it, but it's, it's, it's Phila, P-H-I-L-I, P-H-I-L-A. And, you know, in our English language, we have love. That's what we use. That's what we say. And I say I love you to my wife. I say I love you to my son. I say I love you to my family. But why do I feel odd telling other people that I love them? Why am I uncomfortable doing that? And I'm I'm 39 years old. John will say, I love you to me. And I appreciate that. I th- it throws me off, though, because I do love you, John. Thank you, Dan. But I, I don't say it. I'm usually not the one to initiate it. And I don't know if it's because we have weird preconceived notions or if we... Um, are just that vulnerable and we're uncomfortable to actually tell someone that we love them. You know, the Greeks had a couple of different words for love. Um, one that I thought was really kind of interesting is I, I said I went to college in Ohio. There's a word Xenia, which is a hospitality type of love. And Xenia was a town that was very, very close to where my school was. And so I thought that that was kind of fun, funny. Um, and then you have, you know, love arrows, which is more of a romantic love. Um, but I like Phila because it gives me the opportunity to say, I love you to a friend to say, I love you to someone that really does matter to me. And I want to say, I love you more than what I do. <laughs> and if I had a word like Phila, I don't think that I would feel as awkward about it. Do you know what I mean? Now, at the end of this podcast, I have said to a couple of different friends that I have not seen in years that I've reconnected with on this podcast, and I've, I've put myself out there and I've said to them, hey, I love you. Thanks for being a part of this. And I get a couple I love you backs. I get a couple, hey, thanks. Um, I've gone out on the limb a little bit to, to see if I can absolutely do it. But I think, does that mean I just need to be more courageous as an English speaker and just say I love you more or, you know. Do I wish that I had more of a filler? You're giggling at me. Why are you giggling? I'm not giggling. Oh, okay. words is very different. I because you can say that no matter what. I say I tell people that I love them a lot. See, I would wish I could do that. Yeah, but I mean, maybe you can just trick yourself by using a different word like filler. Well, now I feel like I'm copping out on it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my number one. No, that's I the top it. of the list for me. I that's my vulnerability. I yeah. want to say I love you. I think that's awesome. Mm. And that's where I'm at with that. <laughs> you know how I feel about it, Dan. I think we're, uh, love is probably the most mishandled word in the English oh, language. Oh, for sure. And for uh, sure. yeah, the Greeks happen to have an obscene amount of words for love. 
Right there, yeah, that's true. What's the Greek word for like I love Crunchwrap Supremes from Taco Bell? Like I can't use, yeah. I can't use Phila for that. Clearly, Storge is affection. Is that it? There is a love that's a obsession. So uh, I don't know it off the top of my head, but that might be the Crunchwrap Supreme. <laughs> combine, combine that with Fudita. There you go, uh, Houston. It's been a blast to be able to have you on today. Thank you so much for going through this list with us. Thank you so much for your insight. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing for uh, teachers that directly, you know, influence and encourage and uh, uh, spur our youth onto some amazing, great things. We appreciate it. You are so welcome, Dan. I love you. Awesome. Appreciate it. <laughs> and I guess, can I say this, Houston? Can I say I love you? I hope so. That's okay. what we're practicing, aren't we? Well, we're going to we're, we're gonna say it. Houston Craft, I love you. <laughs> All of us seeing Unified right now is be like, Kano just called Houston Craft and said that he loved him. <laughs> Take that. I did. <laughs> no, but seriously, thanks a lot, Houston. Appreciate that. Thanks for listening. I know what was on your list of questions. Where is Lost in Lists on the internet? First, Lost in Lists has its own Facebook page and Twitter account. On Facebook, just search us at Lost in Lists. And on Twitter, we are at In Lists. Also, we have our own website, LostInLists.com. Check it out. There's a lot of fun stuff on there. Guess what? Lost in Lists is on just about every major podcast platform. So wherever you listen, please... Show us some love. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Again, subscribe, rate, and review. Especially if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts. If you do, leave us a five-star review and a praiseworthy comment. I mean, only if you want to. It doesn't validate me as a human being or anything. Whatever. Anyway, if you have a podcast topic suggestion, or you would like to share some tips and advice, we'll take it feel free to email me at dan at lostinlists.com. That's D-A-N at L-O-S-T-I-N-L-I-S-T-S dot com. Anchor gives you an opportunity to donate money. So if you want to contribute to Lost in Lists, I'll take it. Look, I'm not too proud to admit it. If not, I'm not offended. Lost in Lists is hosted by me, Dan Konopasik. It's produced and edited by the amazing John Andrus. Thanks again. And you are definitely not lost on my list. Bye.